Today we're talking Tamson Webster, founder of the Red Thread. We're going to talk about communication, effectively getting your message across, and if you have an idea or you want to get out there, this is the show to listen to. So check it out, but before you do that, hit that subscribe button. Today we're talking to Tamson Webster, founder of Find the Red Thread. Tamson, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. So I, I help people and organizations make sure that their ideas are strong enough to build on. That's kind of the quick version of it. Uh, essentially what that means is I work with organizations and individuals who want to do something with an idea that's somehow bigger than themselves. So for individuals, that's often speakers, authors, um, founders, organizations that tends to be, they're looking for the story that they want to tell about themselves. But most of the time it's because they want it to do something. But in order to talk about it, we have to make sure it's strong enough to talk about it in the first place. And that's what I do. So we've heard you speak and, you know, Brian tells me you're amazing. And, um, you know, one of the things we learned about you is that um, you know, you started, you did a lot of work with Weight Watchers and you say that, you know, this was kind of the foundation, uh, you know, for everything you've learned. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. I mean, so I, so 20 years ago, I weighed 50 pounds more than I do now. And, uh, and I lost weight with Weight Watchers. So this isn't necessarily an endorsement, but it's certainly what has worked for me for a long time now. Um, and so I wanted to pay that back because it, it, it made such a, profound impact on my life, not just my weight and my health, but really how I thought about a lot of other things. Um, and so in addition to my full-time job, I decided for, you know, for 15 years, I worked in my free time with and for Weight Watchers as, a, as what was called a leader at the time. They're called coaches now, um, helping people wake in, wake out, uh, take the steps that they needed to take to make a long-term change in favor of their health. So, um, what was interesting about that was the, what I learned from, from doing that work uh, really taught me extraordinary amounts about how people change and what they have to hear in order to change and what they can't hear <laughs> if you really want them to change. Um, and, and I just found that the lessons I learned there were so powerful um, that I started to apply them to my full-time work as a brand and message strategist and uh, once I started to take those two pieces and put them together, I just found that the results were extraordinarily better. Because uh, I think really the thing that I learned is nothing will mark, work, at, work at the market level if it doesn't work at the individual level first. So if you could really understand how it is a single person decides to make a change or say yes to something, then you have everything you need to know to understand how to get a market or an organization or even a team to say yes. Now, did you find with that, because, you know, different things motivate people differently, right? Especially with yeah. losing weight and things like that. Did you find you'd have to tailor your message or working with them and coaching with them to the individual? Or was there a broad sense, you know, okay, here's the message and I need to slightly modify it for this one or make variations of it? So it, it was it's such a good training actually for being a speaker. I did the math one time and I figured that over the 13 years that I was in the front of the room. So the way, I mean, if, you, if people aren't familiar with how Weight Watchers and now WWE works, um, if you go to these meetings, which happen once a week, people come in, they weigh in if they choose to, and then they sit usually for a half an hour, 45 minutes for 
a facilitated discussion. And so I, as a leader, was the head of that. Uh, I led that discussion. And our jobs as leaders was every week to introduce a particular topic that was given to us by corporate uh, and try to help people adapt and adopt that particular change in thinking or behavior. Uh, so what was interesting about this was that, yes, of course, everybody has their own way of approaching things, but that actually meant that for me, since we, <laughs> we essentially covered about the same 12 topics over and over and over again, um, that meant that, that it, I took it upon myself to find different ways to continue to come at the same problem so that no matter where somebody was in their readiness, they would get something out of it. So what I found really useful, Brian, was that I would, I would, there were certain things that I knew would always help to get people just to understand the basic concept. I mean, that's, that's where I got to was that there were certain pieces of information that people always had to hear in order to kind of open a willingness to see something about what they were doing differently. And then, you know, part of what was great about the, that meeting discussion format was that then individuals would ask their particular questions about what that would mean to them. Mm -hmm. um, and that meant a couple things. One, it meant that I know that I succeeded if they started to ask questions that, that were like, well, what, how do I do this? Because that means, that meant that they're kind of now moving to how do I apply this information? Um, the second thing is it became extraordinary training ground for me as a speaker and as a, as a consultant uh, to understand how to take an idea and continue to flip it and flip it and flip it and flip it and flip it until I find the right way to couch it, the right way to frame it that really works for the person I'm talking to. So Tamsin, you work with pretty big brands and you also work with experts, you know, uh, solo, you know, so you help them craft their messages, right? And, and, and their strategies. Now, what we want to know is what are some of the most common things that people really need some assistance with when it comes to this kind of coaching? So it's it, the... Well, so many things. No, no, no. no. I, the, the, what, I, what I find is that everybody, I believe that everybody has a great idea somewhere in them. Um, this is a thing that I really a belief that started when I worked with uh, and still do work with TEDx Cambridge, which is the oldest continuously operating uh, TEDx event in the world. Um, and the challenge I think is that well, I think the person who says it best is uh, Agatha Christie, the kind of the mystery novel writer, and and buried in one of her books, and the you know spoken from you know by the the famed detective Hercule Poirot, uh, was this line that words are merely the outer clothing of ideas. And so, the challenge is is that a lot of times we we sense that we know what our idea is and we can and we can envision what it's going to do and we can envision the impact it can have and because we can understand our own internal language it, it kind of always makes sense to us whoever right. has the idea um, the challenge is just putting it into words that other people understand so at a high level that's the biggest issue that i see uh, more specifically what happens is i think people tend to focus more on what makes the idea meaningful to them personally, the person like the person who came up with it or the, you know, if it's a business, then why, why you feel like your product or service is awesome rather than speaking about the idea and framing the idea from the perspective of the person that you're talking to, why would they think it's a good idea? And 
that ends up being a much more challenging ask for people than they realize when they first start. Um, it's definitely a skill people can learn, but I'd say that really is the biggest issue is that we forget that people don't know and don't see the world the way that we do. And so that your job, when you're trying to get someone to see the power in your idea or your product or your service, um, is really to start from their perspective and start to build the case that they would make themselves about the idea. Because ultimately that's what has to happen. They have to make a case to themselves about why that makes sense. And so your job is to figure out what those pieces of information are. And so that's usually what I'm helping clients do is I'm being that proxy for those outside ears. So and that makes a lot of sense. Actually, I was going to say, Brian, a lot of times we have ideas that they're, they're great in our heads and, and we just can't, you know, and they're, they're fantastic. We're legends in our own minds, but it's, you know, we can't yes. get them out there. We've got all of these great ideas, you know? Yeah, and it, it so much, especially when, you know, like you're talking about like that, that whoever's going to purchase that product from that company, they're the decision maker. So if they can't justify it or, you know, or come to that conclusion in their own mind of, like you're saying, why it works, why would they buy it, you know, or why would they, you know, use that service? Because somebody on their end is going to ask them why it's a good idea mm -hmm. and they need to have a way to explain it that they actually feel good about, right? Because they need one that they can defend, not, well, they said it was, you know, we've all been in that position where we kind of said yes to something and it was just kind of, we know that we bought it kind of hook, line and sinker from someone. And then we start to go, Ugh. and then someone starts to question us about the idea and we're like, or the product or service. And we're like, mm, I, mm. And then, and that's where buyer's remorse comes. And so that's why I think it's so important to understand that, you know, there's power in knowing so much and believing so much in your idea, because that means you are able to kind of potentially see it from any angle. Um, but the, but the work has to happen in actually doing that for the particular people that you're talking to. Because as you say, Brian, it's, it's, someone is probably going to have to make that case again to someone else. Right. And so not only does it have to feel like something they themselves would say, this is the key. And this is, this actually makes the message stronger. It has to be something that is understandable and memorable enough that someone else could repeat that case, not word for word, but concept for concept. And that's really, I think the, where the real work of crafting a very, very strong message and, fundamentally a strong idea uh, comes into play. So to that point then, is there any advice you find yourself giving over and over and over again? <laughs> uh, yes. Um, I mean, it, it falls in a couple different areas. I think one of the first places is consistently to say, why would they want it? Not why do you think they should want it, but why would they want it right now? Um, I mean, it's, it's a, we know this to be true that people, you know, when it comes to, at least to business, uh, you know, they, they, you have to sell them something that they want to buy. Um, and when it comes to business, that means something very specific. That means there has to be a line item somewhere in someone's budget that has a category on it that kind of fits whatever it is, is that you're selling. And so... Um, the problem that I see a lot is that particularly when, you know, and I see this more with, with uh, you know, founders and entrepreneurs and, and thought leaders of various kinds, you know, they see their ideas fundamentally different than anything else that's out there. And it probably is, but they have to start from a place where someone says, oh yeah, well, I'm, I'm looking for 
um, you know, better reporting on our, you know, content marketing is initiatives. And then you get them to, and then your job is to get them to a different place where they say, oh, actually, it's not just better reporting that I need. I need this idea. Oh, and it just happens that this idea is represented by this product that I didn't know of previously. So the thing that I say, I get people over and over again is just, is, is to say, what is a question that your clients, customers, your audiences are currently asking, currently asking, like out loud to other people um, that your idea can help with? Uh, and that, that's just a, re a repeated thing because a lot of times people come back with what they hope they would say. You know, they're, um, but that isn't what they're saying. So your work as a, as someone who's trying to get your business, your ideas, your product and services out there, it's going to be a lot easier if you already start where your audience is and then you, you kind of walk with them towards your idea. Gotcha. So you're basically guiding it to where you want them to get as they're going along in that process. Yeah, using things that look and feel familiar to them. I mean, that's really the key. I, I think, you know, if there's another place where there's something I see consistently in what's, you know, so there's kind of a couple different ways that, that a message can be missing something. Um, one is that we never actually tell people what, what it is. <laughs> I mean, and that sounds like, well, we can never do that. Mm, no, actually, that happens a lot. Well, we say, well, it's a new way to do X. Okay, but what is that way? Like you have to tell people. Um, you can't just tell them the outcome. That's important, but you have to actually have to tell them what it is in order for them to even start to pay attention because it's what it is that allows them to go either I've heard that before or I haven't. Mm -hmm. And so, um, and, and, and I think sometimes that's probably why we leave it out is because we're a little afraid that maybe it isn't so different than what other people have said before. But that's the first thing is that people just leave out what the solution actually is. Right. You know, the second big problem I see is that people leave out what the problem is that it solves. Like what, and that's the piece I was talking about before. Like what is it that somebody is currently asking for um, that, it will, that it will help them solve? Um, and I like to work with clients to go one level deeper and find in addition to that, what's, what's the, what's a, what's the problem behind that problem. So, so that you can be in a position of not only solving the problem that people say they have, but you're actually helping them solve the problem that you know they have. Um, but then the third thing, and I would say this is most common of all, even with the one, even with messages that have a problem and a solution is that they're missing actually there has to be extraordinarily strong connective tissue between those two things. In other words, somebody has to hear something about the problem that's consistent with what they already believe that makes that problem impossible to ignore. So, you know, for example, if you were to walk into like a doctor's office and, you know, the first thing they said to you was, hey, you have a spot on your back. When would you like to schedule surgery? I'm going to think you're not going to be ever, you know, like never, like ne never is going to be the answer. Like how about never is never, never good for you. Um, because you have to hear something about that spot that makes sense to you before you would do something. So I can't just say, Hey, you have a spot on your back. It's lint. When are you, would you like to schedule surgery? Right. It has to be something that to them goes like, Oh, oh okay. So here's a problem I didn't know I had, but now here's something about it that is consistent with what I understand to be problematic. And therefore I'm going to be you know, listening more. So 
I, I, call, I call that piece the truth. There has to be something that is consistent with somebody's current beliefs that mm -hmm. they have to hear about the problem that makes that problem possible to ignore and makes that solution that you're offering kind of really the only one that makes sense to them. So those are kind of the big, the big three, I'd say. So earlier you mentioned content marketing when you were using an example. And actually in a recent Content Marketing Institute article, you were giving predictions. Uh, you made a 2020 marketing prediction that was centered around customization of content for individual audiences. So we want to know what, what has kind of led you to that prediction. And are you seeing companies kind of already beginning this process of this customization, right? And second part of that question, what barriers exist, you know, as, as we try to get there? So I think that the, 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 the fund, fundamental issue, I think, when, it, when people are trying to get their message out there, you know, I mean, obviously the first step of any buyer journey is awareness. And so I, I think there's this logical idea that if we just get it out to more people, then by, it's a numbers game, we'll just, we'll get more people into the funnel. Um, yes, and uh, that also means that there's a huge swath of those people for whom you're going to have to do a lot more work over time in order to get them to a point where they're close enough to make a decision in your favor um, that I think that there's a lot of wasted effort on, on kind of covering the earth with your message. Um, so I'm a big, big fan of fairly tight segmentation of, of your concept and your idea because different people are at different stages of that journey uh, of readiness, receptivity to your message, uh, of even awareness of it. Yes. So I think that when it comes down to like what we are going to increasingly start to see more of is that kind of micro segmentation, um, you know, taken to an extreme, you're going to see it at like as the market micro targeting that you've, that you're starting to see. And we saw, uh, starting with the 2016 election, um, so there are obviously some, some concerns I think that folks need to meet there. I think that you have to figure out whether or not, I mean, the thing is the reason why that micro-targeting works so well is because they, they had a message that was consistent to the audience they were speaking to. Um, and so a little bit of inside, not private information, but my husband is a, is, a, is a market researcher and he works with a company that does the exit polls for the elections. And so, you know, he talks about this publicly about how what the, what, what particularly the Trump campaign did in 2016 was that they listened to on Facebook, what were the things that people were talking about, like in these micro areas. And so that from, from, uh, from rally to rally, what then candidate Trump would do was focus his message and frame it in the language that they had heard from that particular audience. And so at a, you know, at a scale that's, at a, as an example, that's familiar to people at some level, that's, you, you can see that happen. I think it's probably going to be one of the first times ever that we saw something like a political, you know, where, the, where politics was actually ahead of um, a lot of brand targeting with that. Right. Um, but the thing is, you know, it's actually in some ways a hard question to answer about what companies are doing it well, because if they're doing it well, you should never be aware of the fact that they, they've micro-targeted. You wouldn't, you would only see a message to you and you wouldn't, unless somebody in your family or somebody like two towns over or two states over got a slightly different version of that message, mm -hmm. um, you wouldn't really notice it. Right. 
But you know, there is one group of companies that does this really well, and that's uh, credit card companies. <laughs> so if you've ever gotten, have you ever noticed in the mail that if, if you've got a partner or a spouse or something like that, and you both get an offer from uh, a credit card company at the same time, that sometimes one of you will get a different or better offer than the other. And that's because they actually have micro-targeted, in that case, based on your credit score. The Apple card got itself in big trouble with this because they got their algorithms such that the women were consistently getting like lower, worse offers than the men, even in the same households. Um, so that kind of leads to the barriers piece. I mean, the barriers piece is, uh, I, I think your own integrity and moral compass is important as a marketer. So if you don't have one, then this is a barrier to long-term success in the marketplace with something like this. Because over time, you can't hide lack of a moral compass as a company. People will spot it out. And if, pe and if people have an issue with that, you're going to lose anybody as a potential market that has that, you know, has integrity as a value that they want in a company that they work with. Um, I think a second big barrier is the fact that it can start to creep people out. Um, uh, I mean, it does. I mean, I, th I think, you know, the more that I think about it, there's other examples that people are familiar with. I mean, probably about five years, seven years ago now, like Target got in trouble because, you know, they sent a very targeted um, coupon set to uh, a family's home that indicated that someone in the house might be pregnant. And in fact, somebody was, but that person had not told anybody else in the house yet. And so people were like, oh, okay, because you big companies, big brands can collect the amount of data that can start to kind of show patterns like that. Back to credit card companies, fun fact. Apparently credit card companies can tell that people are like uh, having an affair or about to get divorced, like almost better than any other thing because there's a change in spending <laughs> patterns. Um, so I just think that the, you know, the real barrier so there's a barrier I think that people probably think there is, which is, do I have to be a giant company in order to do this? And my answer is no, you don't. You just need to have the, the, the will, frankly, to say, you know what? These are the people who we're for. This is what they care about. These are values that we share with them. And we are willing to focus on this group of people first so that they, so that they understand who we are. So if I'm working with a small company like a startup or, you know, just a small or medium sized business, oftentimes what we do is instead of trying to do everything all at once, which is what a big company can do, what we're doing is first identifying those audiences, what they care about, how we frame the message to them, and then we sequence them. So we focus on one audience for a while. And then once we've got that one working, then we kind of back out and expand and say, okay, well, let's say we first talk to people who are super ready to act on this. What does this message look like to the people who are one rung out and then start to go from there? And then I'm going to stop talking because I feel like I've been talking a lot. So. Well, I think another, another barrier, you know, what I was thinking about was making sure that that information, that initial information is valid. You know, I mean, yeah. if you're looking across, you know, it depends where you're doing your, your research, you know, and, and making sure that that because otherwise, what are you doing? You're targeting yeah. the wrong people, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I have a question. So, so sure. when you go through that process, especially working, so most people are going to be in that smaller set, right? You're looking at one target audience and you're trying to figure out what works for them. How much A-B testing, right, should they be doing in terms of that message, um, you know, going out to those users? Like, how, how, what should that process look like usually? Because I think that's what most people miss. They, they, they test something, it doesn't work, and then instead of going, okay, let me make a variation of that, like what you're talking about, you know, customization of that content, 
they move on to something else or maybe a different segment, like that segment doesn't work and they brush it away versus. Yeah. I mean, I'm heavily influenced again by Tom Webster, who's my market researcher husband here. And so he's probably the better one to answer this question because, you know, <laughs> though I have an undergraduate degree in market research, that is a very long time ago. Um, <laughs> So I'm a big believer in test before you invest and meaning like test the message somehow before you invest a massive amount of time in it uh, or money in it. Um, and so if I'm working, for instance, just as a very small example with speakers or authors or even with startups, like there's very easy ways to test those messages and very painless ways because, you know, if a speaker can submit you know, a, a, an idea in the form of a talk description to a conference, and if they get no bites on it, well, that tells you that there's something not working with it. Um, same thing with a startup. Like, if you're not getting bites on the pitch, then something's not working with it. Um, with the caveat, of course, that no marketing message will solve a product problem. Like, just let me make sure that's really clear. Um, uh, but when it comes to, um, oh my gosh, I completely forgot the question. It, it was about, it, it was it was a a b testing right a b testing I was like this is this is not where I was going okay with go well, the a b testing <laughs> oh my lord thank you for saving me on that one um so the a b testing so I think there's really kind of two places where the testing can happen and I think. Um, you can do one or either or both or none, depending on your stomach for putting stuff out there that you're not entirely sure. Um, very, very, uh, you know, companies either with the, with, the, with the conservative kind of outlook and or the money to do it, it's a good idea to, uh, to do some market research ahead of time to make sure that you kind of understand what the market is and what they're looking for. Um, you can do that custom, so it's specific to your organization, but you can also do that kind of research looking out there to see generally what people are talking about. I mean, so if you're a smaller, medium-sized business, you can use a tool like answerthepublic.com where it takes you know, a, a keyword and then shows you all the questions that people are asking about it to tell yourself a couple things. One, are people actually asking about this thing? And if so, how are they asking about it? And so that's a way for you to too. kind of take that information. I'm sorry, Brian, what? Also too, how many people are asking? Is also yes, exactly. So where is it? How is it? You know, that kind of, the, those kind of keyword searches, et cetera, just like, just super basic can help you figure out, you know, if people are talking about it, how are they talking about it? What, and to some extent, what do those people look like? Um, at least, you know, on paper or digital paper. Um, the second place to do some testing is what I find is that, that, Folks actually have a sense of who their market is generally. What they don't have a sense of is how big it is. And so I think you can usually get a good message without having done a huge amount of pre-research generally. You can get something that should work just to start to test out there in the marketplace and see what's working. So um, like I said, I think one place to do is before, one place is to, to do it after. Um, and there can be all sorts of different levels of formality. I mean, I've worked with companies that after we've come up with a message, have then gone, you know, qualitative focus group testing with those, with those, with those messages to see how, what people's reactions to are to them. And by and large, there's usually not that much of an adjustment. Um, because I, you know, it's just been my experience that, that companies actually, particularly when they're trying to get a new idea out there, they have a, they have a, they have a better understanding innately of their customers and their audiences than I think a lot of times they give themselves credit for. So 
Um, should people A-B test? Yes. I mean, I do even just mildly with, I mean, I, I consider my newsletter, for instance, to be an A-B testing of, of ideas because, you know, every time I'm writing something, I'm kind of testing a new way to frame it. Um, and there's a, you know, so yes, I can A-B test the subject line, but I'm also kind of A-B testing post to post if like, you know, one, you know, let's say this week I wrote, a t you know, on one topic and then, but four weeks ago, I wrote on a very similar topic, but in a different way, I can kind of look at just based on how many people wrote back, comments, open rates, those kinds of things. I can start to get a sense of which, which of those ways to talk about it is more powerful. And frankly, that brings me back to Weight Watchers, right? Like, so that's, that's kind of what, one of those things that in the meeting room I was taught you know, the experience taught me very quickly, like to recognize the signs of, of, an, of a message not hitting correctly. And so what are, the, what are those signs, you know, for, on, the human talking, level, human, on the not, human not level, not so much like, yeah, on the human level, not, you know, open rates and, and all the digital yeah. stuff we track. But when you're, when you're talking to people, I mean, there's just, there is, uh, so one of my colleagues and frequent co-consultants as a, as a gentleman by the name of uh, Nick Morgan, Dr. Nick Morgan of publicwords.com. And his whole body of work is about body language, frankly. And he talks about it in the sense of that there's always two conversations. The first conversation is like the language. And the second conversation is actually what your body is actually saying. Um, and that, you know, as humans, we actually, the, the, the language we trust most is the body language. And and what we'll see is, and what we'll sense even innately is a gap between what our mouths are saying and what our body is saying. So, you know, his example classically is if somebody kind of goes, goes like, I'm fine. You're like, that person's not fine. Um, and so what I find when I'm talking with people one-on-one -on -one is that there's just these, these, you know, sometimes it's very obvious. Well, someone will back off and they'll close and they'll close off and you're like, mm, they're not, they're not with me. Um, or they'll, they'll, or you can see kind of signs of engagement, right? Where you can see them kind of trying to figure it out. I've just, I've also learned to kind of, if I'm speaking with someone to kind of look at their expression and go, that doesn't, that doesn't seem like it's resonating. What's your question? Um, uh, and kind of help them and help them tell me like what is, what's not working for them. Um, I do a lot, when, particularly when I'm working one-on-one -on -one with folks or with small teams, uh, stop a lot and just say, like, what, what questions do you have? How are you feeling about this? Does this feel right? Um, because I'm a big believer in the message has to feel right to the person who is speaking it or who is saying it um, because it's back to that first second conversation piece. If you don't feel comfortable saying your message, there's no way somebody else is going to feel comfortable hearing it taking it, repeating it, somebody else. Does that so, answer the question? Yeah. <laughs> hey, that's one of the yeah. things you can ask. <laughs> it does. Yes. Um, you know, so you, you talk about, talk, you know, talking with people one-on-one -on -one and, and, you know, the last thing we really wanted to know was, you know, how, how do you help people kind of tap into, maybe on a personal level, not so much for these big companies, tap into that message that they have, you know, so maybe it's those, you know, authors or entrepreneurs or, you know, um, speakers and things like that, how do they tap into it when they have the great ideas and they just can't get it out? I know. It's, well, the, the real secret here is that ever, that, that, a, that an idea, what's that? Magic. 
<laughs> magic. Magic. It's kind of <laughs> like magic. It feels like magic, and yet it's it's actually predictable magic. Um, just like any true magic trick, uh, there's a process and there's a method to it. Um, and that it's when the method is revealed, you're like, well, that wasn't all that exciting. But what you're what you're but what you're in the magicians call it method and effect, right? There's the method of um, of what they're doing to create that effect, but the effect is what you remember. Um, and so the fundamental thing to understand with a, with a, with an idea is that an idea actually is a story and the, the story that's happening is the story that created the idea in your head in the first place. And I don't mean that like I was, you know, that it was Archimedes and he was sitting in a bathtub and all of a sudden he had this idea. I mean, there was actually something happening in his brain pre-consciously that got him to a point where he goes, that's the idea. And so there's a, there's a bunch of neuroscience behind this. And it's, it's something that probably a lot of your, your listeners and viewers have, have heard before, but you know, we make sense of the world through story. So if you're given kind of a couple pieces of information your brain is automatically trying to figure out what connects those pieces of information, why the, what's happening, what will happen, why did what happened happen. Um, one of my favorite examples, and I use this in, in some of my talks, is uh, a short, a very short story, a seven-word story from E.M. Forster, which was uh, the king died and then the queen died. And I love just pausing afterwards and then kind of giving people a minute. And then I'm like, you've got questions, don't you? <laughs> like, I mean, cause, because they do like, your brain is like, well, why and how, and how far apart was that? And like, did she kill him? And like, what did they die of? And it's like, but this is, this is the phenomenon that's happening in your brain all the time. So I say that as context to the fact that um, if you understand kind of the, the major you know, what moves a story forward are these points of choice, like the kind of the major plot points of a story are always what the, the moment where someone has, has, has to make a choice between, do I take in this new information? Do I ignore it? Um, do I pursue this thing that I want? Do I not? Um, and so the way to tap into your idea is to retrace the steps of the story, is to build the story. If you, if you build the story of the idea, you will find the idea. Or if you rebuild the idea, you will find the story with which to tell it because those are the steps your brain took. They're the same steps that everybody's brain takes. And, and they really are pretty simple. They track with a story. You know, a great, any story starts with the, you know, the, the, the movement of the story starts the moment that we understand what the main character wants. And so one of the things that kind of an individual can do to figure out like their idea or their own message or their own red thread is what I call all of this, um, is to start with the, start with, well, what question was I asking? What, what was I, how was I asking it then? Because now you're asking a very different question as kind of a, somebody who's moved on, but, but you have to say to yourself, what was I asking then? What was I trying to figure out? And then the next major plot point of a story is when you realize what, you haven't been seeing, right? Where there's, where you discover, this is what I call the real problem because it's, it's not really what you've been doing because what you've been doing is a product of how you've been looking at the world. So there's a moment in every great story where there's like, oh, I, oh, I didn't, right, of course, it was probably there all along, but I wasn't looking at that. And the minute that you started to look for a different answer was the minute you're like, you know what? 
everybody else when they're solving this problem is looking over here. But to me, we should be looking over here. And then the next point of a story is the reason why you feel that people should be looking over there because you're like, well, because, well, everybody's looking at the trees. I'm seeing the forest, but if we want to get out of the forest, you have to actually move between the trees. So that's where I'm going to look at, right? So that's that moment of truth. Every great story has, there's a moment where there's, there's a piece of information that, that recalls or moves forward, you know, the main character to what it is that they really believe. And it's the moment where what they want is put in jeopardy, right? Because there's that moment where you're like, well, okay, I know I've been looking at this, right? I, there's a really good reason for me to be paying attention to this. So do I want what I said that I want? And if I do, okay, am I willing to take the risk now to do something different? And that creates the next plot point, which is a change, which is what's the different thing that you're going to do. You're going to like, I'm going to look at the space between the trees. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to, that's how I'm going to show people the new path out of the forest. And then there's kind of the actions that people take to resolve it. So what I find over and over again is because this is the pattern of our brains. And as I said before, what happens at the individual level happens at the group level, at the organization level, at the market level that if you can figure out what your brain did, and even if it's just kind of put new words on it, Agatha Christie style, um, you're gonna be able to rebuild that path for somebody else so that they can essentially come to your conclusion, but on their own terms. I just had goosebumps, I'm sorry. <laughs> that, was, that was a really good I was, I, I was so deep in that. <laughs> oh my goodness. Um, I mean, it's super powerful. That. Oh, you're welcome. It's just so super powerful. I mean, because it just, this is, I am, uh, I am relentlessly pattern driven, as I'll say. Um, but this is, a, this is one of the most powerful patterns in life is, you know, what are your patterns of choices? So when you are trying to figure out either what your idea is or how have all of your ideas even connected, because that's sometimes work that I'm helping people and organizations with too. Like they're like, well, how do we tell the story of all of this since I did this and I did this and I did this? And if you look at those patterns of choices in those categories, well, what were some of the things, what were the questions you were trying to answer? What were the kind of gaps in perception that you're drawn to solve? What are some of your fundamental truths and your guiding mantras? What skills are you continually bringing to bear um, to solve those things? All of a sudden, you there. There is this. There's that connection. That's why I call it the red thread. Um, there's a connection to these patterns of choices, and when you can find those patterns of choices, um, you can find the thing that makes it all make sense. And like I said, it's because it's like a free prize because it's following the pattern of a story. Like if you find those patterns of choices, you have a way to talk about it because you have a way to say, well. You know, I mean, here's what I wanted. Here's what I discovered. Here's why I thought that was so important. So here's what I did instead. And these are the steps to take. And look, I not only got that thing I was looking for, I got this thing too. And people are like, oh, yeah, I can do that too. So it's, it's just, it's really powerful. And I just, you know, I said earlier that I really believe that everybody has great ideas. And that's why, because everybody's patterns of choices are a little bit different. And so everybody has a, they're going to have a different perspective on things. Um, and really just the work is to find it. I, I think that was probably the longest Nicolette and I have not asked that question. That was mm -hmm. great. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if that's a good thing or not. I'm sorry. Yeah, that, that's something. For you to stop us, it's, uh, it's something. Yeah, both of us love to talk. So for us to not even ask a question, I was enthralled to hear it. Me too. Me too. Awesome. You know? Awesome. 
Oh goodness. I feel like, um, Oh my goodness, Brian, am I forgetting anything? I wanted to. <laughs> I don't think so, Tam. So that was, that was great. You just made me question my whole life. I got to tell you. So. <laughs> well, but there's an answer there. That's what I'm saying. I mean, like there is an answer there and that's what's just like, it just it, like, it really is powerful. So it's just kind of, I mean, I think that, um, you know, I don't believe that there's a single passion. I don't, I think there are these, there are these patterns. I think these patterns kind of mix and match in different ways, you know, um, and, and I think they're, you know, I believe very, very strongly, and this is a little counterintuitive, that what got you here will get you there. I mean, I think a lot of times everyone's trying to figure out, well, what do I need to get that I don't have yet to solve the problems that I have? And I am, you know, this, and this is also a lesson learned in Weight Watchers, that you actually already have all the resources that you need. You already have muscles that you have built that are extraordinarily strong for pursuing goals, solving problems. You have, you have, uh, you know, you have internal moral com compasses and, and <laughs> that, um, that guide you and that consistently have, and you have a set of skills that you've developed as a result of all of that. Um, and I think that just this understanding that there is this, that you have already been doing the work and the work will carry you um, is, is something that I'm, I'm, I'm incredibly passionate about getting out there because I think, I think we oftentimes are operating from a position of, of lack or that we think that we are. Um, and we're not. We, we, every step, everything that you've done, every moment of your life is a lesson learned. And there are patterns to those lessons. And when you find those lessons and you find those patterns, you find, you find power. And I just think it's really important that people have a tool, a way, a process to help them make that process easier. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that with us. That was great, Tamsin. No, um, you guys, I'm, thank you. Thank you both for having me. Appreciate it. Can you, t can you tell the, uh, the um, listeners where they can find more information about you? Sure. I, my, just about everything's at TamsinWebster.com. I don't know what isn't actually. Um, so they could do that. Uh, if anyone's kind of curious just to kind of work through those steps for themselves, I, there's a little worksheet that I have on my site that's free. So TamsinWebster.com slash worksheet. Um, uh, you can find that. It's easy. Um, and, you know, if you just want to kind of stay connected with like seeing me A-B test ideas, then you can sign up for my newsletter and that there's, there's easy ways to do that from my site too. Tamsin, are you doing any speaking, upcoming speaking events? I do. I, I am. And I should have those ready off the top of my, <laughs> my, off the top of my head, but I don't. Um, I think the first big one is the B2B marketing exchange in Arizona in February, I think is the first one on the list. Uh, so I think it's in, um, in the Scottsdale area. Um, it's Arizona. I don't want to, like, everyone's going to be like, Scottsdale's nowhere near where we are right now. Um, so Arizona, uh, some other, some other ones on the schedule, but that's, that's, the, I think that's the first one up, but people can find those at tamsinwebster.com slash events. And that's, that's we're sitting and ready to, ready to be there. And I'm always patterns, looking for more. Patterns. So, yeah, exactly. Patterns, patterns. That's right. Yes. And always happy to, always happy to, you know, find new places to speak as well. It's one of my, one of my favorite things to do. Awesome. Thank you so much, Tamsin. We really, really appreciate the time today. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you so much. The important work you're doing, so I'm happy to help. Thank you.